Yo, this is Rob Harvilla from 60 Saws That Explain the 90s, the world's greatest loopy and perverse and inaccurately named music nostalgia podcast. We're doing 90 songs now because there's too many songs. Pearl Jam, Jay-Z, Jewel, U2, Cher, Hootie. These are just some of the names people yell at me on the internet because we're back. More great songs, more rad special guests, more loopy perversity. Join us once more on 60 Songs That Explain the 90s every Wednesday on Spotify. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out Live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Hello and welcome back to Group Chat. I am Justin Barrier. Joining me, as always, Rob Mahoney, Big Waz. Gentlemen, did any of you score 40 to 70 points over the past week since I've last seen you? I got to think about it because it seems like everyone's doing it pretty casual. You know, it's, I would think we could do it if we tried. I scored the equivalent of a 70-point game on the grill on Sunday. Mm. Yeah, I made Tell us about incredible it. burgers, dogs, hot links. Um, just It was an easy score because the the, bur- the dogs and the hot links come preseason. But my season on the burgers was just incredible. Yeah, that was a Donovan Mitchell-worthy performance. Fed five other human adults. I'm <laughs> proud of myself, y'all. What, what's the char situation on these dogs and hot links? Are, are you blistering that outside? What's oh, your yeah, game? Oh, yeah, yeah. The hot links got to get blistered. The dogs, you just got to see them puff up a little bit, and it's like you kind of know that. But the hot links, even though they, they basically come pre-cooked, you still want to blister that outside and get that texture you know, um, that you get on the, the outer skin. Um, I, I'm, I'm assuming those sausage, those hot links were made with like some kind of pig intestine or something. Um, but you want that char on that, Rob. Damn straight. We're doing pre-seasoned? Well, we're just buying no, the ones sausage, the- not the burgers. Come on now. Burgers. Yeah. Yeah, come what, on. You want to get a season of sausage casing? You got to trust what's in there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't trust my local butcher. I need a guy. I think that's you do my need problem. A guy. Everyone needs a guy. Everyone needs a guy. Uh, hey, and some of the teams we're going to talk about today might need an extra guy. There we go. Uh, so we're going to talk about five teams. Count them. Five teams. 
uh, three of which are surging heading into the new year, two of which are unfortunately slumping. Uh, let's start with the positives because we like to accentuate those here on group chat. Um, let's start with our Brooklyn Nets, uh, who I'm sure if you listen to this podcast, well, know by this point, winners of 12 in a row now are half a game back of the Boston Celtics in the Eastern That's Conference uh, after the Celtics were blown out by, I believe, 40 or so to the Oklahoma City Thunder, who scored 150 points last night without Shea Gilders Alexander. Um, Rob, let's start here. Uh, are you surprised when I'm right about everything? <laughs> <laughs> what were you right about in this case? Like you uh, and Kyrie, you and Kyrie were, were in full alignment. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Uh, that that I've always been a deep believer in Ben Simmons and always wished him the best. No, I would just say that I think going into the season. I seem to be higher than most, especially on this podcast mm-hmm. on the nets. Just if they could just put set aside whatever they have going on, on Instagram or on their Reddit board participations, uh, that they could be a very good team. And it seems like that's kind of borne out, especially over the past month. Yeah. I mean, I think you have two, two pretty important developments happening at once. One, they're just flat out the most improved defense over the course of this season so far, just like, a completely unrecognizable product from what we saw in November. And shout out to Jacques Vaughn for that, for buttoning these guys up. They are the switchiest defense in the league. They look long. They look active. Nick Claxton has been unbelievable. You have Simmons looking really engaged. You have, you know, KD's length playing to the best possible effect. And I think most importantly, they just kind of streamlined what they were doing. You know, we're going to switch every ball screen. The other stuff we're going to navigate in a more traditional manner. And that works for them. We're not going to overcomplicate it. We're not going to get overly scrambled. We're going to trust our guys to guard the ball. And they've been able to do that. And when you have that combined with the team looking deeper, certainly than it did at the beginning of the season, just like guys stepping up, getting TJ Warren back, you know, all of a sudden this looks like not only a real basketball team, which was a surprise given how they played (laughs) earlier in the year, but a really good one. Yeah. Um... I hate to sound like a broken record on this podcast, but I do believe that defense is just a lot of it is just wanting it. It's just trying. <laughs> it's, it's, it's literally just putting in the effort. And I want to bit send a big shout out to my man, Mike Scotto, who was on my podcast on Friday, where he talked about the toxicity within the team while Nash was still coaching. Um, unforgettably, he was like, there were moments where Nash was trying to give guys daps before games in and out of timeouts. And people like KD and Kyrie were leaving the guy hanging. Like, that's the level of craziness that was happening. He gets out of there, and they just start playing harder. The spirit of the team is lifted up. I know we talk about this sort of ephemeral stuff all the time on here, but I'm really a strong believer in just general overall happiness, general overall happiness of the guys on the team. And I think that's borne itself out within the defense. The stuff on offense, they have an embarrassment of skill and riches offensively, talent-wise. They are going to be able to score against teams But let's face it, defensive talent is not something that they have in abundance in that way, right? And so they do have to try hard. And and when you see guys like Patty Mills and Seth Curry and Kyrie Irving, who they're just not good defenders, you know, but when they're giving playoff-like effort in the regular season, it shows that there's a level of investment. Um, I think the schedule definitely opened up and softened up for them, which is always nice. But 
it's it's always heartening, Justin, when a group of professionals don't let their disdain for middle mm. management get in the way of a great <laughs> effort. And that's what we've always had here, right? <laughs> Never been an issue. So, 10th on defense in the entire league over the course of the entire season. I don't think anybody even saw that. No so shot. credit to Jacques Vaughn for getting these guys to buy in as, as Waz was alluding to. And I think that's important because this team is pretty small and is going to need to be physical in order to make up that difference with a lot of teams in the league. But also, as Waz mentioned, the schedule has been pretty Sherman here. So over the 12 wins, we're talking Charlotte twice, Atlanta twice, Indiana, Washington, Toronto, Detroit, Golden State, Milwaukee, Cleveland, San Antonio. Definitely some good teams in the mix there, but it, a, there's a lot to be questionable about. And so, Rob, I guess the question really is, how much do you believe that this version that we've seen over the past month or so is the real version of the Nets? Or do you think it's something closer to what we saw earlier in the season where it's like, you know, KD could save them, Kyrie would come in and do his thing, but ultimately maybe the defense isn't what it needs to be to be title contender? Yeah, I mean, it might not be at that level. We're going to need to see them really hit against some of the elite defenses in the NBA. And I think even if you want to look at that schedule pretty charitably and say, like, look, they have these these big games against teams like Cleveland. Like, Cleveland's more of a defensive team with, you know, Donovan Mitchell, you know, powering off for 70 points here and there, apparently. Uh, but, like, those wins matter. All of these wins matter. This is basically the shape of what all NBA win streaks look like is, you know, you got five yeah. wins in there against the Hawks of the world and you make do and you, you beat the teams in front of you and you keep going. And more importantly, like they have a proof of concept that this works. And for a team that where the, the vibes have been so bad, being able to have this stretch to look back on and say, this is what we're building. We know these, these habits can pay off. We know that if you just dig in and guard the ball, that there's going to be real payoffs to that. And you're seeing that up and down the rotation. You're seeing like guys from all across this lineup chip in in ways that are meaningful. That, to me, is sustainable. Well, let's talk about the title odds here because I think this dovetails nicely with another team we have on our list here, the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, so in the FanDuel betting odds, the top three t finals odds right now are the Celtics, Bucks, and Nets. It seems pretty quick for the Nets to make that jump. Um, but 538 also recently put out their mathematical title odds and they have the Celtics Grizzlies at two, two of the teams that I've been highest on uh, in recent weeks. So I'm, I'm pretty much uh, John Hollinger at this point. Uh, Philadelphia <laughs> comes in at third, the Nuggets at fourth, the Nets at fifth. Was, does that feel right to you? Or do you think this is the case like last year where like maybe the math is indicating something that we haven't seen specifically when it came to the Celtics, right? They were, they were a big, uh, the, the math really enjoyed them. The numbers really stood out on them and had them as title favorites. But like, do any of these teams strike you as being out of place? Uh, that depends. Did 538 uh, predict a red wave or because I don't remember. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I, I think for right now, the way these guys are playing, it feels fine. Um, I see the, the Nets. Nets at the Nets at plus seven hundred. Look, I still have a lot of questions about what they'll ultimately be able to stop on defense come playoff time. Uh, I wonder if you know against the best defenses, if they won't redound to a lot of the stuff that we saw in the playoffs last year, which is just a bunch of KD long contested twos. Which KD is a great mid range shooter. 
one of the best of all times, but a playoff offense shouldn't have such a huge um, amount of its uh, eating come from that portion of the floor, right? And so I still have my questions about how good they could be in the playoffs, but I think, honestly, Justin, it speaks to the non-juggernaut nature of the favorites. Like, they're not... Mm. This isn't Golden State. This isn't the Heatles. This isn't... These teams aren't that. They're the best. They're at the top of the league, but not by some wide or distinct margin. And so that's what I think these odds are speaking to. Because, no, I'm not going to get into the playoffs and think the Bucs are just going to play their absolute best every single time out on offense and even defense sometimes when they're just stubborn to get out of their stuff that doesn't work. They, they usually wait till it, you know, kills them five, six times before, you know, they try to do something else. And so I think it's just indicative of, I don't want to say the weakness of the favorites, but, they're, you know, they're, they have flaws. They absolutely do. And yeah, the Bucks are case in point as a team that just like, especially right now, looking very rocky on offense. And some yeah. of that is just not having all their guys. But on the other side of that, you do have the Nets, who I would say if there's anything that's a little hazy about some of their statistical performance, it's that the numbers are goosed a little bit by beating the Warriors and Spurs by a combined 66 points, right? Like mm-hmm. that is inflating some of these like net rating over the last X weeks. Hey, they, they some they of their championship the Spurs odds. too. That's a, yeah. I mean, those games like th- those are going to make them look even better on paper. On top of the fact that they have been legitimately and sustainably good. Also, one last thing about the Nets, I want to say, I want to give a shout out to Jacques Vaughn, not just for the job that he's doing, but I think a lot of times when people talk about um, coaching hires as far as black coaches, they'll say like a guy like Jacques Vaughn who failed at his first stop usually doesn't get an opportunity to coach a talent-rich team like this on his second try. It's going to be with some bad team, rebuilding, bunch of young guys. Hopefully, he can figure it out. It's like a crapshoot damn there with these young teams, as we see. So these guys usually don't get this opportunity with a team that's constructed the way the Nets are. So I'm happy for Jock Vaughn in that respect, where he gets to show his stuff, where he doesn't come back like... And, you know, I think... (laughs) I think Mike Brown has had a lot of opportunities. But I'm just saying, like, Mike Brown comes back to Sacramento, a team that hasn't made the playoffs in damn near 20 years. And, you know, it's a it's a younger team and whatever, up and coming. He doesn't come back and coach something that's established, right? Talent rich or whatever. So Jacques Vaughn getting this opportunity with the Nets is really nice, even if yeah. it was a roundabout way. Yeah. He, he brought normalcy to this yes. team, which might be a case for coach of the year. For, for the yeah, specific 100%. group of people. Yeah, I think there's a real chance we look back at the decision to give that job to Jacques Vaughn instead of Emeo Doka and welcoming <laughs> wow. the, the, the full carnival as... I mean, yeah. if the Nets are this good, this could be one of the more meaningful like developments Absolutely. of this season. Absolutely. Yeah, so I, I'm convinced that the Nets have found a footing. Like, they are clearly, to, in, in my eyes, one of the best teams in the East. I think the question now becomes, when it boils down to matchups in the playoffs, how they're going to fare because someone on that roster is going to need to defend Joel Embiid. Maybe they get that person uh, at the trade deadline or before this trade deadline in about a month here, but I'm looking at Embiid. I'm looking at Giannis and thinking, huh, if they get matched up with those teams again, it could be pretty, pretty rocky. Um, But that brings us to the Sixers here. Another team that's streaking in their own way. Uh, 10 and 
two over the past 12, uh, just before that, an eight-game win streak. Rob, you've been a big proponent. Um, Have you seen anything with this team other than Joel Embiid just being a Goliath and doing kind of what you and I think what a lot of people expected him to do this season? Yeah, I mean, some of it is Harden, as we've mentioned, being one of the most productive players by assist in the league, creating more points than almost anybody else out there. They've had to do a lot without Tyrese Maxey, and that's going to be kind of the big question as he's coming back now. He's, you know, he's already looked a little bit rusty. He's going to need to get himself in shape and in order first. And then they need to figure out like the big question, which is how are they going to be effective with their three core guys on the floor at the same time? Because they haven't, they didn't really have a chance to figure it out at the start of the year. Then Harden got hurt. Then Maxey got hurt. And in the meantime, I would say one other development worth noting is D'Anthony Melton has been awesome. Like he's been really, really good to a degree that Tyrese Maxey's coming off the bench to kind of ease his way back in. They've had such a good thing going with Melton's disruption and shooting and just like make shit happen instincts. That's been really healthy for them. That's been a really positive development along with the fact that I think Tobias Harris still doesn't get enough credit for sinking even more comfortably into that role this season. Like he's been asked to do even less in a lot of ways and to marginalize some of his skill set in a lot of ways. But he's become a really good catch and shoot player. You know, he's become he's become exactly or at least closer to what they need him to be. We're gonna we're gonna give him credit for doing less work. <laughs> I am gonna give him credit for doing less work. <laughs> no, and you know, the thing about the Harden stuff that I'm always paying attention to and how fluid Things are working on offense for those guys. Harden has traditionally been somebody who takes forever to make a decision. Like, he just, you know, the ball stopping, the dribble, 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 the refusal to take spot-up threes when they're there for him. I think he's loosened that stuff up, and he's making quicker decisions, which is going to be key. Um, Because, you know, (laughs) to the extent that they do anything meaningful this year. It's not really going to be because of offense. It's going to be because they're stopping guys, but they're going to need Harden to be really good on that and to get anything out of what they got, right? And so I felt heartened to see him at least make some adjustments to what he's doing because he's traditionally been the most stubborn guy um, about in terms of his approach and his play style. So that's been cool to watch for sure. It's just me. I just... You know, I have an aversion to this group. Uh, I, I just do. <laughs> but they're proving me wrong, and maybe over time I'll, I'll change my mind about it. Yeah, so if there's any team that stands out on the 538 list, it's definitely the Sixers, because I think, like you guys, I'm probably more mixed on them, more in wait-and-see mode. Uh, but they have them third behind the Celtics and the Grizzlies. I think the question is similar, though, to the Nets, where it's, did this stretch reveal to you anything that you previously were waiting to see. Are you more encouraged about the Sixers now, fifth in the East, riding right behind the the Cavs and could easily jump into the top three probably in a couple days than you did earlier this season? Well, not not to... I think we kind of glossed over it a little bit on the top with the Joel Embiid, like what else is happening with this team? (laughs) Right. The 36 points per game over this stretch has has been pretty good. That's what I'm saying. Like, he's just straight up 35 a night. And that's different than, that's different than, you know, some of the nights in previous seasons, for example, where if he wasn't getting to the free throw line, he would struggle. If he wasn't like reading the, the double teams perfectly that night, he would struggle. The way he is powering through people, and most importantly, like that face up game, the face up yeah. game, 
from that eight to fourteen from, feet. From from fourteen feet is oh crazy. My God. <laughs> he's so good, and the, the footwork is so good, and he's finding ways to both be that guy and to be a physically dominant presence, still going to the basket. And if you can walk that line and have all of that level of creation from from every kind of stage and phase of the offense, that's going to be dominant. You know, we, I think the wait and see is: can he be healthy in all the games that matter? Can the rest of this team? pull together and stick together and kind of get in the right directions. That's what we're waiting to see on. But the early indications at this point are, are pretty strong. So let me ask this, Waz. So of the teams at, in, at the top of the East, let's say the top five. So you have the Celtics, Nets, Bucks, Sixers, and we could throw in the Cavs. Which one do you feel most confident in right now? Still the Celtics, for sure. I mean, yeah. I, I would make it a tie between the Celtics and the Bucks. Um you know, uh, just I just think collectively they still have the most talent. Uh, both teams, when both got when they have all of their guys suited up, with that caveat, of course, which is a, a huge one. As more and more guys around the league go down, important guys go down. Um, but I still trust them the most. Like I don't see how <laughs> I don't see how any non-Philadelphia native could say they they trust the Sixers. More than the Bucks, like how can you, how could you say that? Based on what evidence could you say you trust them? Maybe you have faith. Maybe you know you can go by not by sight, but by faith and by you know the leanings of your own heart. You just have a feeling, sure, but like trust. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> no, and the Cavs again, a super young team. Although I believe in their talent. At the highest end, like when all of their guys are playing, you know, up to their capabilities, I think they're they're right nipping at people's heels, as evidenced by Donovan dropping forty the other night. Um, excuse me, seventy. But yeah, yeah, give me the Celtics and Bucks. I know it's not interesting or or takey, but yeah, Celtics and Bucks. I still cannot believe we live in a world where it's dropped forty. Wait, let me correct it, seventy. Like that was just, that was just a real thing that happened the other day, and we're just like, all right, another day, seventy points. Yeah. Let's go. All right. Uh, Rob, where are you uh, on the East? I'm, I think I'm waiting for you to elevate the Cavs from sixth tier contenders into where they rightly belong, <laughs> yeah. which is, in, which which is, is the first or second. I would say first or second tier contenders. Like the Cavs oh. feel like they're at that level to me. I would put them fifth on this list of five really? teams that I just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I, I feel much more confident in the, in the Celtics and now the Nets for pr- pretty similar reasons as I think Waz is talking about the the Celtics and the Bucks. It's just like I believe in the talent of Kevin Durant and I think that's yeah, shown through. And one for sure. one of the one of the numbers that I'm most heartened by during this 12 game run is that KD over that stretch is only averaging 24 points per game. And yeah. to me that suggests that there's more collectively happening and that's what they're going to need in order to excel. Like I said, matchups we'll see in the playoffs, but I could see KD just being the best player in the playoffs and and lifting this team to the finals. That seems realistic now. That does seem realistic. I think my worry for them, even with all of that stuff happening currently, is kind of a replay of what we saw last year, which is, you know, you're not going to play the Celtics every time in the playoffs. And last year, they were on a different level defensively. But if you have a switching defense that can contest KD, that can make him work in a seven-game series, maybe you can gut out enough of those close games. Like, maybe you can win some of those battles. And that's that's a select group of teams that are in that conversation. But they're the teams the Nets might be playing against in the first round or so. Either way, I think... The Bucs are a team that I do have a lot of trust in a lot of their component parts. But where I'm starting to get a little shaky is 
we just haven't seen Chris Middleton play a good game this season yet. And yeah. he's he's missed the vast majority of it, obviously. But like, if this is just a year where Chris's body isn't right the whole time, and he's in and out of the lineup, he never has a chance to like really kind of get into a rhythm. And they are, it's so clear at this moment how much they need him offensively. That that could be it for them. That could be the difference. Did you ever answer the question? What was the question? <laughs> Which team in the East do you believe in the most? <laughs> oh, this. I mean, the Celtics. Like, we're all on right. the same page here. Celtics, right. baby. I was just trying to spread the wealth around. If you had a you had a two, is it the Bucks? Yeah, Rob see, don't believe it. don't don't do the Sixers. Come on, Rob. You're you're, you're thinking about it. I'm tempted to pick the Cavs. To be honest with you, mm, I like that. That's spicy. That's I spicy. I think. Okay, look. If we're if we're doing like the safe ten thousand feet, look at the depth chart. Chris Middleton is is great, and everything is fine. It's the Bucks, but like. Where things sit right now, I feel more confident about how the Cavs are playing than how the Bucks would play if this Chris is thing, isn't 100%. This is the thing, Justin. The Cavs are going to guard the hell out of people. They're going to guard the paint. Their big guys are going to get out on the perimeter, play out in space. Like, they are going to be able to stop folks, right? And I just think Garland and Mitchell are creative enough. Although Mitchell... I know he had 11 assists in that game. There's still a lot of times where he just straight up misses a wide open alley-oop, a wide open roller, whatever. But that's what Garland's for. Like, that's what he's there to do. You know, I just like the synergy of the team. I'm not quite brave enough to say I like him more than the Bucks, but I love the, 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 the way the parts fit. I really, really like. And... Another person I want to talk about is just Jared Allen, man. This guy is just one of my favorite kind of players because I do like bombastic, poke your chest out kind of guys. But I like that Jared, Jared Allen just does his damn job, does it well. Just, you know, all of those cliches, hard hats, bootstrap, all of that stuff, um, tool belt, whatever you want to use. He does all of that, man. He's one of my favorite guys to watch because of that. It's like offensive rebounds, set hard screens, roll really hard, you know, switch out onto perimeter guys, contest guys with the verticality at the rim. You know, like, it's just, he's he's a model NBA big man, and I want to give him props for that because we see so many freaking just dogs, especially at his position, and to watch him play is just a pleasure and a treat. I remember when he got his deal. I think it was five years, a hundred million. There was a lot of chatter about a lot of hand wringing, yeah, a lot of hand wringing about traditional bigs and can you give them this money? But it's like there are guys you give a hundred million dollars because they think they can do everything, and there are guys you give a hundred million dollars because they don't even want to try. And that he, he, he is in that category. Like he's just going to do what you want him to do. Yes. Listen, I love Jared Allen. Seems like a legitimately sweet human. Like I would love to talk to him about Fleischman is in trouble at some point and get his thoughts. Yes, Seems like yes. that type of guy. You don't uh, want to talk don't... to anybody about Fleischman is in trouble. <laughs> Be honest. Oh, did you turn around on the show, Justin? I haven't seen the last one, but I'm, I'm no, I, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, having said that, I don't know if any of those guys are guarding KD in a series. Like, love Mobley. Yeah. Maybe he could. But I, I don't know. I just see too many flaws in terms of like stopping the most important players in the playoffs, which are the bigger wings. And 
I get it. They're a really good team. Maybe next year I I can believe a little bit more, but we're talking about like the 1% here. And I, I just can't quite get there right now. Yeah. They're on the flip side. Like the Cavs are, or sorry, the Nets are a distinctly awful matchup for the Cavs. Like if they, if that's, if that's the series, that's going to be very tough on those bigs. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's flip to the West now, just, just briefly to talk about the team streaking over there. Um, Well, there's a couple, but I guess more specifically the the Mavs here are riding a, a seven game win streak. Um, in terms of like poking holes, I think this one might have the most of them. Like Luka Doncic is using all of his appendages oh in order God, to plug it's, this boat. Um, Minnesota, Justin, Houston, I'm looking three at your times. list right now. This is crazy. <laughs> Minnesota, to, to call this a surge is is ridiculous. <laughs> well, it's seven straight, so it goes on here. If it's the theme, uh, Minnesota, Houston, three times somehow. Uh, the Lakers, the crazy game on Christmas Day, and then the wild game the other night against the Knicks, and then San Antonio. Um, well, Rob, you're local there. Like, yeah. what, what's the vibe right now? Are people bl- are putting on their cowboy hats and then taking them off again and spinning around their head these days? <laughs> no, but maybe like throw the hat once in the air with a yeehaw. <laughs> you sure. know, so like so some muted enthusiasm, I would say. Yeah, right. like I, w- I think there is the appropriate amount of caveating happening about the schedule here, especially when like the toughest opponent is the Knicks. And that game was one of the craziest finishes you'll see in an NBA game all season. But, ever. Ever, ever, yeah, yeah. frankly. Uh, but like, if we, look, if we want to like zero in on what's working, Christian Wood is starting. That's going very well. We'll see how that fares when they're playing teams that like are really going to stretch him out and, and stress him out. But to his credit, I think this is as active as he's been defensively basically his entire career. Like he is actually, you know, moving and engaged and ch- like really trying to contest people, even if he's not technically flawless all the time. I think the effort is there in a way that's pretty encouraging. I'm not sure if the, the chicken and egg there was like he was getting blocks and now he's really trying to get blocks or if that was just kind of incidental to him working hard. But there's there's definitely some t- some statistical notes just as far as like how he's contesting shots there. But also like they're, you know, they're getting out in transition a little more, which for a team that's this glacial is pretty important. And Luca is just freaking merciless against bad teams and bad defenders. And that's in, in a similar Joel Embiid kind of way. If he's going to punish people like this, that's going to be enough on a lot of nights. Yeah. Yeah, I just I, I just I just hate the the way they have to win, which is just Luca being uh, Superman, Hercules, Incredible Hulk, like rolled into one to beat the goddamn Knicks on a fluke shot in overtime. <laughs> like, it's crazy what they have to do to win these games. And the teams that we talked about previously, right? Um, Boston, obviously one of the best offenses in the league. They have multiple ways to hurt you. <clears throat> Philly, not a great offense, but has multiple ways to hurt you. And they have this great defense to, you know, to sort of anchor themselves. Oh, you, you can go on and on and on. Like, these good teams have multiple ways to hurt you. The 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 Dallas Mavericks is Luka has to, like, obliterate people. And then their guys have to make long shots. You know, like, that's just... I don't know. Like that, that 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 just doesn't seem very appealing to me. And so it's hard for me to call this a surge when they're beating the Wembenyama All-Stars, right? Um, <laughs> the Knicks by luck, Minnesota who's beat the hell up. I, I just can't with with this team. And I know I've been sour on them all year. And I love what Luke is doing. I love watching him play. You know, I was talking to somebody uh 
the other day about Luca, and they were just like, you know, the the, the Harden comparison is is terrible because one, Luca is just a way quicker decision maker, and two, the stuff that Luca does footwork wise in the post, where he's basically Kevin McHale too. So he's like he's like LeBron with the the court vision, the step backs, the you know all of that, and then when he posts people up, he has the most incredible footwork down there. Like he's incredible. To watch, it just feels so fleeting, man. Like the success rate of counting on that. So on the individual team schedule pages on ESPN, they'll often list the top uh, player in points, rebounds, and assists for each win or loss. Uh, During the seven-game stretch, Luka is the representative in all three of those categories for every game except for against San Antonio when Christian Wood got a few more rebounds than him. So I was just say, good job to Christian Wood, you know, getting on, <laughs> getting on the board. <laughs> I know. Uh, also 34.3 points per game is what Luca is at heading into Wednesday night's games. Uh, so there have only been since the dawn of Jordan, uh, three players who have ever scored more over the course of the season. And it's only happened five times. I gave one away with Jordan. Can you guess the other two? Kobe, for sure. Kobe. 0506. Harden. And Harden. Harden did it twice. Yep. Damn. Yep. Trivia Master Was. <laughs> yeah. Nobody has ever scored <laughs> more than that in decades. That that's what we're doing. I I think it's it's interesting though in terms of the MVP conversation because we are basically like, eh, Luca's like on the ballot, but I'm not sure you can give it to him if he does something like this where he completely takes over and rallies the Mavs into the top four of the West. Like, I think if he does this, you have to give it to him. So I'll say this right, um, and this is not to denigrate what Luca's doing because I think it's incredible. But I remember when I was a kid. I would look at the back of Jordan's basketball card and I would just stare at that 37 and just be like, what? How? <laughs> how, how like, how does somebody do that? Um, like, the, like, what the hell was happening in the NBA that year that they just couldn't stop Michael Jordan? Um, and what I'll say about Luka, what Luka's doing, in an NBA where a tanking-ass team could drop 150 on... Um, <laughs> a team that claims to be contending for a championship, it's a little less impressive. Just a little. I'm mm. not trying to hurt, hate on Luka. It's just the, the, like, you know, it's just kind of crazy what the scoring is like now. Less impressive than 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 Wilt scoring over, like, 5'10 white guys? <laughs> yeah, and, and plus, you know, the possessions of those games were ridiculous. Sure. It was, you know, the pace, I mean, I should say, of those games was crazy. And what was monopolized, but whatever. We don't need to get into the dorkiness <laughs> sure. of of why that 55 points a game or whatever it was wasn't necessarily that um, crazy. Well, mm. if I can offer one more point of related dorkiness, uh, with Luca, I think him scoring this much with them being so depleted is pretty crucial. Like, right, it's not just a weirdly constructed team. It's they're missing three, sometimes four rotation guys on a nightly basis right now. And he's carrying a lot and he's doing it, as you mentioned, was like in the post, on the perimeter, every which way you possibly could. Pretty, pretty dominant, to say the least, that you can have a guy who can just up his usage from already leading the league to just, let's, let's just pile more possessions on his shoulders. Yeah. It's not beautiful to watch or even at times tolerable to watch. 
but you know, it's effective. And if he's going to keep playing like this, I mean, you just, you got to keep feeding the beast. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two for $5 chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. All right, let's flip to the teams who are having less success now. Uh, another team in the West, we have the Minnesota Timberwolves who have had lost six straight before winning in Denver the other night. Uh, you're already getting the athletic stories, the deep dives about what could go wrong, like what's going to happen. Will they make trades? What? Who's to blame? You got the blame pies being served every here, everywhere. Um, so I guess the question was is, how? I guess let's just do a temperature check first. Like, how are you feeling about your Minnesota Timberwolves right now? I- I think, honestly, this is the NBA, guys. Like, um, the best laid plans of mice and men often go astray. And that's what we're seeing with the Minnesota Timberwolves right now. Like, Carl Anthony Towns got in, suffered a major injury. Uh, he's one of their best players. They lean on him. Rudy Gobert is in a completely new system, new situation, new teammates, new things to learn, and he's not completely there yet. And they've had injuries all up and down the roster. Even a guy like, you know, McLaughlin, who's a marginal player, he's big for them ball handling-wise and point guard duties. Like, they've had so many losses as far as um, players to injury. Like, this is, it's fine to me. And the answer has been, yo, Anthony Edwards, you're the future of our franchise. Go figure it out. This is what we played a regular season for, man. Like, this kid is supposed to be who carries them in the future. And yeah, he wasn't supposed to have all of this on his lap this year. It was supposed to be a more equal split of, of, responsibility and that hasn't happened but this is the NBA man sometimes shit just goes haywire 
And and that's what's happening for the Timberwolves right now. And I'm happy A-Rod made his payment on time. That's nice. <laughs> so he's actually going to own the team. Like, mm-hmm. like these, these dudes come in before even owning the team. They trade four first-round picks for a dude. Like, that's kind of, you know, like, if that didn't work out, that would have been... Oh, my God. You want to talk about scandal. Like, that would have been crazy. But, you know, I think they just got to live with the decisions they've made. And... If you're a Minnesota Timberwolves fan, like, watching Anthony Edwards, even when he's struggling, like, watching this guy figure stuff out in real time, I still think he's a pretty special guy. It's just they're not going to win 50 games like they thought coming into the season, and that's okay. It is okay, I think, in the macro sense, but this is just such a hard team to believe in right now. Oh, my God, yeah. They're, They're miserable to watch. They they start slow in games, and when they don't, they roll over in the middle of it. And when they don't, they just like lose focus at the end, like critical junctures. It's bewildering. And I think because of that, they really have as, as many ugly losses as any team on the board. You know, you catch the Timberwolves on a bad night. Holy shit. It is a miserable experience to watch, and you can see it on the faces of pretty much everyone involved. And I will say, I'm in agreement generally speaking was like look if Carlton Towns isn't out there you're probably not going to be as good as you as good as you would hope to be and you certainly aren't going to have like an accurate picture of what the strength of your team is going to be if it was going to be the size but I Rudy Gobert straight up has not been good enough yeah you know it's been bad I think we've circled around every other explanation you know we've talked about Edwards we've talked about Russell we talked about Towns playing poorly and then being out we've talked about the effort level. We've talked about the defense. We've talked about every element of this team pretty much. And I think Rudy's gotten understandably some leash to kind of like, you know, figure it out, find your way. As you're saying, you're in a new system. It's There's a lot of things that are different. But the reality is like the things that he was supposed to come in and shore up have not been shorn up. And even t- setting apart like the structural defense of that, just take like the rebounding. Like, the Wolves are an awful rebounding team still. That's never been ever the case in the history of Rudy Gobert's career. That's the thing. And it's like, yes, some of that is guards not crashing, him not getting the adequate support. But if like, if he can't be that kind of backbone where him being out there is a very good defense and a very good rebounding core, that's a problem, yep. you know? And so it's like, if that if that's the flaw, if the premise is now flawed, we have issues. And then, then you start needing to like take really hard looks at all the surrounding pieces and say like, if these aren't the guys who can help make us a version of a Rudy Gobert team, then who are those guys? Well, I think the question that's most interesting is what needs to change in order for the results to change? Like, is this something where it's on the individual players themselves to either give more effort, to blend in more seamlessly, whatever it may be? Is it on Chris Finch, the head coach, to do that for them? Or is the theory of blending this team together just so it wrong and has just borne out based on that that like the, the the blending towns and gobert with edwards and all that stuff it, it was just the theory behind it was just so ridiculous that it's never going to work or are there like changes that could be made to the roster that could make it work we're doing blame pie is what i'm saying can i like light up the joint and we pass it around the room here and we just we just go we zoom all the way the hell out and let me ask you like what is the job of an NBA coach what are they doing like what do you want them to do 
Because if yeah, the players yeah, aren't people, playing hard, <laughs> that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, if the players aren't focused and playing hard, is that his fault? At this, is that their you know fault? what? It, this is the thing. It doesn't matter, Rob, at a certain point, right? Like, we talked about Steve Nash, and guys just weren't playing hard because they hated him. Yep. Is that Steve Nash's fault? It, at a certain point, it doesn't matter. You're the cause of it. Um, whether it's your fault or not, you're the cause of it. And so if you can't somehow Jedi mind trick these guys into doing something else, then you are the problem. Um, it, it, you know, you get paid, your contract's guaranteed, you get fired. Them bees the breaks, right? And so I, I think it's a little too early to say that, you know, the coach hasn't made this work. In Minnesota, uh, I want to give him time to see if he can right this ship, to see if these guys can be a more focused bunch, the more, you know, gritty bunch. <laughs> but, but yeah, at a certain point, man, Finch is going, he going to have to eat this. That's just how the league works, you sure. know? Um, yeah. Because it's not going to be, oh, we just get rid of Rudy. That ain't going to be the answer. I think the Towns thing should be something they explored for sure. But whatever, that might not be the answer for a while either. And so, yeah, I think the coach is going to be the first guy, especially, he'll. Pro I think he'll make it into next season because of how chaotic it's been. But next season, he's on the clock. Nate McMillan style. <laughs> <laughs> the Nate McMillan, I really wanted to quit but didn't story was one of my favorite <laughs> in recent years. You don't really see that that often. <laughs> this guy's just like, get me the fuck out of here. I'll even admit this. Um, man, this, this trade is such a weird one because you've seen lopsided trades uh, just bear fruit or, or bear doo-doo very quickly. But it's typically when one player wanted out, got their wish, and it was ultimately inevitable. Charles Barkley, Anthony Davis, etc. where it's like one very clear dominant player is going somewhere and the team had to get rid of him as a result. Rarely, and I can't even think of a, a, a comp where a team just had a, a brilliant theory about how this new player would add what they're doing to, to, to what they have going on here and it just completely fall flat like this. And you say Towns isn't here and I guess we should account for that. But on the same hand, like is Towns being in the midst of all of this going to help in the immediate? I, I don't know. Well, I think it didn't can... help while he was playing. Yeah. It didn't help. So that's what I'm saying. Know, and so no I, that yet. I don't know. It, it seems like we're, we're, we're driving toward an inevitability where someone is going to be leaving this team in addition to Chris Finch, most likely. And like D'Angelo Russell seems likely, but I can see a future where this is Edwards and go bear purely because you can't get rid of either of those guys. And Towns is the most likely to, to be moved if only because he probably has the most value. And so I don't know a year from now, I think is, is the over under where Towns is still in Minnesota. Certainly telling that we're even having that conversation, right? Like the, we're talking about foundational pieces, not just like, can we, you know, shuffle around the pieces to get like the right kind of wing to plug into this lineup. But we're, you have to have like really existential questions about the Wolves right now. That's that's as big a problem as you could hope to have or hope not to have at this point in the season. I think where I stop short is like to, to your point about Carl, how do you know where like how do you make any positive progress toward where you hope to go if he's not out there? Like how do you how do you have any hope of trying to make this work if he can't even play yet? 
And so there, there are elements of this that are just kind of tabled and, and it will be tabled until you can get everyone on the court at the same time. That's not very satisfying. That's not like the product is bad in the meantime. And hopefully they can, they can fix some of that. But there are just going to be huge looming questions that you cannot answer in the interim. Listen, yeah. my man John Krasinski um, of The Athletic, who is about as plugged in with the Wolves as anybody is or can be, he explained to me directly, was like, they made that Rudy deal understanding the next big thing that they could possibly do if this didn't work was move towns. Because the Rudy deal was made because of towns. Mm. Like, he's the reason why they think they need a center with a capital C. He's the reason why they think they need rim protection and rebounding showing up. He's the reason, because he can't do any of that stuff on his own. And so if they get him help and it still doesn't work, it's just like, this is just never going to be a thing that works with you, um, yeah. to, to their mind. You know, uh, there was no Jared Allen type on the board <laughs> when they traded for Rudy, right? But I'm just saying, to bring up another center, like a real center type that wasn't, you know, that didn't come with the baggage that Rudy comes with, with his his such glaring weaknesses, right? Um, so they went out and they made a splash for a guy who's won all these Defensive Player of the Year awards, who's anchored all of these elite defenses. And so, yeah, Towns is going to be the next to go. But management, like if you're Tim Connolly, just for job security purposes, you're extending Towns' time to show what he can do with this new group out further. You know, that's just how that job works. So I think Towns has time to fail some more. Man. Or succeed, possibly. Miraculously. There, are so, there are so many centers without a job. They could have just easily just tried one of those out. I mean, JaVale <laughs> McGee needs a job every summer. And to that point, like the Dallas Mavericks overpaid in order to get JaVale McGee to do a similar thing there. And that has failed, but it didn't like just ruin their franchise for years, potentially a decade into the future. It's just like, it's, it's the, the amount of risk you're attaching to that just didn't make any sense. And now you have a Krasinski story going up recently that they need a leader and that is presumably falling on Anthony Edwards, a guy who is making wild decisions right before the season started, who's 21 years old and needs many, 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 many more months in order to mature into anything close to that. It's just, I don't know. A lot of this just does not make sense. I just want to clarify for liability reasons that the answer to this nor anything is JaVale McGee. And we cannot endorse our <laughs> listeners paying him millions of dollars. Like, I don't know that JaVale McGee is the answer to any question. Um, all I'm saying is there's just bouncy rim protectors all over the place. And McGee is, is kind of the, the shining example of that. Nobody wants JaVale McGee, but everybody needs a JaVale McGee. When it comes down to it. See, but I don't think it was a bouncy rim protect. I think it's like we need somebody who can be maybe approximate Steven Adams. You know, like be a real center. Just a real center. Not mm -hmm. a great center. A real one. So Walker <laughs> like, Kessler? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. That, that Hell is yeah. That is the brutal part, you know is I that mean? a guy like that that they yeah. just drafted is probably giving them that. I mean, I've said this a million times, so Literally. I'll, I'll just say this once more, but just like a veteran steady hand at point guard. Like if they had just traded a draft pick for Mike Conley instead of a million draft picks for Gobert, probably made sense for them where they were. So anyway, 
Um, but speaking of veteran point guards uh, who <laughs> haven't been steady, I guess this would be the opposite. Uh, the Phoenix Suns are, are our last team on our list. Uh, lost six of the past seven, 12 of the past 17. Booker is out for at least four weeks or at least three more weeks after uh, at the time of this recording. And Chris Paul oof, does not look good. Career lows in points, field goal percentage. I don't know. Rob, how are you feeling about the Phoenix Suns these days? Does it feel like the type of thing where maybe this is just the slog of the season, injuries, etc.? Or is there something like foundationally wrong here? Look, I mean, some of it is just the difference of having Devin Booker in the lineup or not is the difference sure. between running good offense and spinning your wheels a lot, which is where they are now. That said... It's not great that, you know, especially for us Chris Paul defenders by trade, it's basically what I'm hired here to do. And I have no defense for the fact that he can't carry a lineup without Devin Booker in it. Like he's just, that's kind of where he is right now. And I think some of that is Chris Paul's like relative decline, you know, age and injury and all that. Some of it is the fact that like what Mikhail Bridges and DeAndre Ayton do as third and fourth guys is maybe a little bit overstated when the Suns are fully healthy to make you think that, oh, like these guys are, are ready for a lot more than this when, in fact, they are not necessarily. And I think Aiden in particular, like the DeAndre Aiden experience has just been incredibly frustrating in terms of when he is willing to be aggressive versus not, when he's just like floating around out there, an accessory to the game, basically. It's tough to watch. Like he is an indispensable part of what they are right now. And he's just not what he needs to be on a nightly basis. Has has there ever been a player with the ability to dunk who refuses to dunk more <laughs> than DeAndre Ayton? It's it's crazy watching him do the little finger roll, the little float shot when he's within three inches of the freaking basket. Whatever, that's just a individual gripe that I have with Ayton. But I think Chris Paul... What people got to understand is what he's done the three years previous were not supposed to happen. This was some, this is the typical trajectory of these really small NBA players. They don't play very well into their mid and late 30s. That's not a thing that these guys do. Chris Paul was on borrowed time the whole time. Devin Booker being out obviously exacerbates that, like the obvious the obviousness of Chris Paul's age. Um, and also, these when you see a, oh, a guy's out with a groin, he's out with a hammy, he's out with um, a quad. Like, these are all injuries that, they're tricky as hell. Like, you stop playing for a little bit and it feels a little bit better. You start playing, ramping up again, and then you re-injure, like, Devin Book is not going to be right for the rest of the season, y'all. Like, this, he's going to be dealing with this grind thing the whole time. Chris Paul is going to remain old as hell. Um, the Aiton thing is going to stay the way it is because he's already gotten paid. And even before that, he refused to dunk on people. And obviously, Monty Williams, you know, is not feeling this dude. You know? And so there's all of this bad juju around the team and... You know, it's funny that we're bookending this pod with the with the Phoenix Suns and the Nets because I think the the Suns right now are the Nash Nets. Mm. They just there's injuries, there's you know there's talent clearly, but there's people in and out of the lineup. There's personal problems within the group, and there's just a bad energy around them, and something needs to give. 
something's got to change. Um, but I don't know what that something is can or should be. You're saying Monty yeah. Williams can't get dapped up over there? <laughs> Certainly not by DeAndre. <laughs> yeah, I, I would honestly look toward Williams and also James Jones here because on the one hand, yeah, Chris Paul playing poorly is a huge issue. Uh, but you can kind of write that off to just like father time. Like he's pretty much been holding the line with Boca burgers and like radical evolutions and biomedical care for like years now. And you had to veganism, assume veganism. Y'all. <laughs> yeah. Which is like, this was Plant going these. to happen eventually. They just didn't really plan for a future uh, in a way that would allow him to age gracefully. Like maybe they just got caught up in the fact that like Booker is, is, is so dominant and Aiton was, was coming along, but like one Monty Williams, I don't know how he went an entire off season without talking to Aiton. I thought that was a pretty big yeah. red flag there. Clearly there was clashing there, but it is kind of Williams's job. And I say, this as a fellow middle manager to like, to mend the fences there in order to, to like get him to be the best version of himself. Because we saw the Suns at their best when Williams was specifically empowering Aiton to be this rugged defensive minded center. And otherwise he tends to flow and like that's on Aiton, but it's also on Williams. And then James Jones, like clearly has had, a very difficult job there in Phoenix, given ownership and everything else. So I don't want to ding him too much. And he has lended them the credibility in order to trade for Chris Paul. He did get the Cam Johnson pick right. But other than that, like I can't find many wins on his ledger. And if anything, it kind of feeds into this idea that we talked about going into the season where it's like, yeah, you can get the big stuff right, but it kind of depends on your wins on the margins. Those things tend to stack up. And now I'm looking at like, oh, Jay Crowder is still home and you got nothing for him. Uh, your draft picks, you've kind of just ha haven't really done much with them to the point where Jalen Smith was let go before. Uh, like he only played like, what, two years with them. And so where where's the, all that other stuff that's going to be coming in behind Chris Paul in order to allow him to basically float through a regular season and, and play when it matters most? I think that's where I would disagree a little bit as far as like the plan for the future, because the plan mm. for the future is Booker, Bridges, and Aiden. It's the idea that like as Chris declines, those three guys are escalating and stepping up and broadening out their games. I think that was a reasonable expectation to have. It just hasn't happened, at least to the degree that you need it to. Like Mikhail Bridges, yes, can do more off the dribble now than he could do a year ago. And that's meaningful when you have your full lineup. It's just not propping up, especially this new starting group, which has been an absolute disaster right now with Shaman and Torrey Craig in there together. That lineup does not work. But mm -hmm. fundamentally, like if Devin Booker is not there, you lose. Like you just do not have the firepower right now to prop up an actual functional NBA offense. That's, that is a problem in terms of team building, but I, I kind of look at these young, still developing, still growing players, and I, I put a lot of it on them, to be honest. But is Shaman still a developing player is Damian no, Lee. No, 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 a no. Developing his campaign. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, these are our ready win now veterans. And that's probably the type of players you want in these situations. But the fact that they're not producing and booing the starting lineup in this situation, I think Landry Shamit was some incredible clipper get five years ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, no, he's not developing anymore. The, the Suns aren't a team just bereft of draft picks who traded everything for Chris Paul and they have to make do. This is a team that could have done both. They could have followed a two-track, not to the level of the Warriors, but they could have like ushered in a second wave behind them. And the fact that like 
you're not planning for injuries to a Chris Paul. I think I think that to a certain extent matters. Um, but I don't know. Like maybe if Booker's back in here, they're winning a ton of games. They're still like very much in the West race. They're only in eighth right now, but they're only four and a half games back just because of how messed up the West is in general. So I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I see what you're saying, Rob. Like maybe it's just untimely injuries, but on the other hand, like I, th- I do think there are some foundational things here that, that need to be. No, because over the past, the past two to three years, they've dealt with injuries and they would just glide on through those things. They were a buzzsaw. You know, you know yeah. uh, Paul would get True. injured. Bridges would get injured. Uh, Devin Booker would get injured. Aiton would like they, and they would just fly right through these injuries and it ain't happening right now. You know, um, and it's not because they don't have any players. They have players. It's just, it's tough. It's tough. Well, I mean, Jay Crowder will be traded, presumably, within the next maybe. month. So maybe, maybe that can be, yeah. I mean, he'll just Jay be home Crowder, Call of Duty I'm with, holding with out trade demand. I'm pissed. It's just, it's, it's, it's peak NBA, bro. Yeah, like, how, how does this go... For this many months now without resolution. That, that, like, just bro, baffling. who are you? Go to work. Is there, no, <laughs> is there no part of you guys that admires the commitment to the bit? It's insane. Oh, yeah. Like the overinflated sense of ego and status and place within the league is crazy. Like if you were that good, somebody would have came and got your ass already. Like what in the world, bro? Ugh. I, I kind of wish I had that job, honestly. That that is that is the <laughs> ideal. That's the dream. Just not, seven million paid, bucks not going to, to sit on yeah. the couch and eat um, Lay's potato chips. Yeah, that's a good. You're coming good to our job. side out of middle management. Come on, <laughs> come come join the workers, Justin. Uh, all right. Well, we'll wrap it there on on union negotiations. Um, thank you to Eduardo Ocampo for filling in on production. Uh, We'll be back next week, same time, same place. We'll see you.